1 Chronicles chapter 17, verse 1. Now to get the context of what's going on here in David's life, he's had some trouble trying to get the ark of God back to Jerusalem. And he finally accomplishes this. He finally accomplishes getting the ark of God back to Jerusalem, gets it set up in the temple, sits down, and in verse 1 he says, Now it came to, now it came to pass as David sat in his house, that David said to Nathan the prophet, Lo, I dwell in a house of cedars, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord remaineth under curtains. So David's sitting around and he's resting and he starts thinking, you know, it bothered David that while he's sitting around and enjoying living a good life, having this great house, having a great, uh, all the blessings of God, that uh, he looks out there and he notices the most important thing where God is known to reside above that ark is sitting in a tent in some curtains. And that bothered David. And he wanted to fix it. See, that's the total opposite of what's going on in, in America with American Christians. We have American Christians living in the most blessed nation in the world today when it comes to just the physical, financial blessings of this country and the freedoms and liberties we have. And instead of sitting around thinking, what can I do for God? They sit around thinking, what, what can I do some more for myself? And that's a shame. But David wasn't like that. David thought about God. David always had God on his mind. And David was looking out and said, you know, it's not right that I live in a house like this and God's living in a house like that. Now, I'm not preaching this sermon just because we need to get the church painted. <laughs> it's had nothing to do. I never, it didn't even occur to me until I got up here this morning. I'm like, man, they're going to think I'm just hammering them about painting the church. It had nothing to do with painting the church. But I will say this. It's not right. That we live in a really, really nice house and God's house has been letting, it's, it's falling apart. That's not right. I believe that with all my heart. And I'm not blaming, it's nobody's fault in here, right? I don't believe that's anybody's fault in here. But that's why I'm putting such a stickler about, get, let's get this church painted back up. Let's get this church looking nice because it's not right that the Lord's house is looking like this. Amen, Brother Keegan. I don't care if you agree with me or not. It's not right. It's not right that God's house is looking that way. And that's why we're putting this, we're trying to get what we're done, trying to do what we're doing to get the church paid. Now that I said all that, listen, let's move on. It's not going over very well, I can tell. <laughs> that's, what, that, that never occurred to me. But, but, so David, he wants to get something, he wants to get this done, he wants to fix this problem. So he goes, verse 2, then Nathan said unto David, because he told David, David had told Nathan this, so Nathan's answer in verse 2, Then Nathan said unto David, Do all that is in thine heart, for God is with thee. And it came to pass the same night that the word of God came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell David my servant, Thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt not build me a house to dwell in. Thou shalt not build me a house to dwell in. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, just coming to you humbly in the precious name of Jesus Christ, Father. Lord, I just pray as we look at your words, Father, and as your words are preached, Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit will move among us. Father, speak into our heart the truth. Father, just telling us what we need to hear, Father, and making an, giving us an example how we need to live our life, Father. And Lord, I just pray a special blessing on these people, Father, that come in this morning to hear your words, Father. I just pray to be your words and not mine, Father, and I ask if I do or say something that's not right in your eyes, Father. I just pray it fall on uh, deaf ears and blind eyes. And Lord, I just want to thank you for the blessings you've been given this church, Lord God. I want to thank you for taking care of us. Father, I want to thank you for the answered prayers on the prayer list, Lord God. Father, I ask you to pray. Uh, Lord, uh, Father, I ask you to heal Abby up, Lord God. Heal, heal Brother George up, Father. I ask you to give us some healing with Colleen, Lord God, and some of these others that are on our prayer list, Father, and Sister Linda. Father, get them off the bed of affliction, Lord, that they might come in here and serve you, Father. And Father, we thank you for your blessings, Lord, and we just want your will to be done. And we're praying all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So back in, uh, back in verse 2. Back up in verse 2. So David has this plan, and he wants to do something really, really good for God. And he wants to do something for God, and he goes to Nathan, and he says, Nathan, I have this idea that I want to do something for God, and I want to build this building for God, because I'm living in this nice house, and God's only living in this tent. I want to do something really, really nice for God, and I want to do this. And Nathan, obviously, obviously, in his own opinion, just, just shoots it out and says, go ahead and do it, verse 2. Nathan said unto David, do all that is in thine heart, for God is with thee. Well, obviously, that was his opinion. That wasn't the truth. 
So I wanted to point out first off this morning that you got to be careful and there's a danger in putting all your trust in what the pastor says. Amen. There's a real danger in that. And the danger in that is that sometimes, that for number one, number, number one, I'm only, and any pastor, any pastor, anywhere, it don't matter, even including Paul, the greatest Christian to ever live, Paul is only a man and he's got a sinful nature still left in him and he can make some mistakes. And you always want to have scripture to back up what the pastor's telling you. In other words, if a pastor gives you some advice, you always want to have the, does that, does that pastor's advice line up with what God tells me here in the Word? And you need to also not just lean on what the pastor says, you need to pray yourself, and I'm pointing at myself, you need to pray yourself and search yourself towards the Lord and see what His answer to you is. Because I've seen this in people's lives. Sometimes people come up and they ask my opinion and I'll give it to them. And it's just an opinion. And I tell them, but you need to, you need to pray. <laughs> They'll say, uh, uh, Brother Keegan, I, I, would you pray about this, this, that, and this situation? Yeah, but are you praying? And, and a lot of times the answer is yes, I'm praying. But sometimes the look on their faces is like they're not even praying about their own situation. Why do you want me to pray when you're not even praying? The person that's going to have a heart for it is not me. My prayer is going to be, Lord, answer this prayer for brother, brother, so-and-so. That's my prayer. Your prayer is going to be, please, Lord, answer this. Please. You know, you're going to have a heart for it. Same way it goes with your loved ones. Same goes with anything that's going on in your life. You need to have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and not be having a relationship between you and the pastor. Don't let the pastor be the middleman between you and Jesus Christ. Your, your spiritual feeding should not just happen here on Sunday mornings. Your spiritual feeding should be happening through the week as you pray and fellowship and read your Bible and try to have a walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of the biggest blessings I get is when somebody tells me, I'm, I'm out on my tractor, I'm out in the field, and I'm talking to the Lord all day long, and I'm, me and the Lord are talking, and I'm driving down the road, and I'm talking to the Lord. And I thank the Lord for that. Because I don't want you to get caught up, and it's dangerous to do that, to get caught up with just whatever you, you're getting all your feeling from what the pastor's giving you. And that is a good place to get the Word of God, but you need to get, be, be getting more than that. Amen. There's a real danger in that. And, and, and lastly, I want to say about this before we move on is, your pastor, and I hate to say this, your pastor can be wrong. Amen. He can be wrong. And I've looked, yeah, you know that real well, don't you, Brother Raymond? And I've looked back in my life and, and things I've taught in Sunday school way back in the day, not, not just last week, but way back in the day, and I think about some things I've taught, and I was wrong. I was doctrinally wrong. I was teaching the Bible wrong. I had some things messed up. Or, and there's times I go back, and I have to go back and edit some of these sermons out, and I'll be listening to myself, and I'll have, uh, you know, Goliath killing David with a slingshot or something. You know, it just comes out of my mouth wrong, you know. Some things, I'll, in my mind, I think I'm saying what I'm saying, but when I go back and listen to it, I have things twisted around, you know. So uh, I can be wrong. So can any other pastor. And this is scriptural to say this. And, and if, if you got your Bible and you're following along, just quickly turn back to 1 Kings chapter 13. I'll show you. I'll show you this happened. And just quickly, and then we'll move on through this story. But I want to I get this point hammered home this morning. That you need to not just completely trust your pastor when it comes to spiritual things. You need to put your faith in the Word of God. And you, you know, lean on your pastor to help you with the Word of God. Lean on other brothers and sisters to help you with the Word of God. But don't put your whole trust in your pastor. 1 Kings chapter 13, uh, verse 17. Now this story is this young, young prophet's told by God to go do something and this prophet's told by God not to do anything but what he tells him. In verse 17, this young prophet's telling this old prophet what God told him. For it was said to me, the young prophet said, the young prophet said, it was said to me by the word of the Lord, thou shalt eat no bread nor drink water there, nor turn again to go by the way that thou camest. God told this young prophet, you go there, you tell him what I said, and you skiddle back. You don't hang around, you don't drink, you don't eat, you don't fellowship, you come on right back. That's what God told this young prophet. But when this young prophet shows up, the old prophet shows up, and the old prophet says, come in here and eat with me. And the young man says, I can't do that. I, God told me to go. Now look at what the, the old prophet does, the old preacher. The old preacher does in verse 18. He said unto him, the old preacher says to the young prophet, I am a prophet also as thou art, 
And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee into thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied unto him. That made me swallow. He lied to him. He just flat lied to him. <laughs> he wanted that young man to come back and eat with him, so he just made up a lie and said, An angel's told me this. Now, if you're a Mormon, you need to really look at that scripture for a long time. Some prophet's been lying to you. And that's not my sermon this morning, but you need to look at that. Yes, preachers can lie. I just read it to you. Prophets can lie. This word of God doesn't lie. You need to put, that, pro, that young man said, the word of God told me to only do this. And the, young, the old prophet says, yeah, but an angel told me to come tell you. If an, Paul said, if an angel of God comes down and, and preaches any other gospel, let him be accursed. That's what Paul said. We got the gospel in the scriptures. And if an angel shows up here and breaks these, that comes to this comes through the ceiling and comes in and is glowing bright like the sun. And this angel gives us another gospel that's not found in this scripture. Let that angel be accursed. Amen. That's what Paul says. Guys, you've got it right here in the Word of God. Back in First Chronicles chapter 17. So we've got to get that straight because Nathan really messes up there. Nathan really messes up because he tells him to do it. And God says in verse, five, verse 3... Uh, uh, verse 4, go, and we're back in First uh, Chronicles chapter 17, verse 4. Let's move along. Go and tell David my servant, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt not build me a house to dwell in. God just told him no. <laughs> and what's amazing about that is God told him no when it was a good thing. God told him, you're not going to do that. And that's a good thing. Amen. So, Sometimes you want to do something for the Lord. Sometimes you want to do something for the Lord. And he says, no. What? <laughs> why? Well, let's look at that for a little bit. Let's look at why would the Lord be telling you no when you want to do something that's right for the Lord. Well, the first thing, the first reason is actually found there in verse 6. Look at verse 5 and 6. And the Lord says unto Nathan, continue and say, for, and this is what he told him to tell David, for I have, no, for I have not dwelt in a house since that, the day that I have brought up Israel unto this day, but have gone from tent to tent and from one tabernacle to another. Verse 6, Wheresoever I have walked with all Israel, spake I a word to any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to feed my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedars? God tells Nathan, Tell David, have I, have I been asking for this to happen? So the first reason why God might, not be, might be telling you no is simply because it might be a good idea. It might be a good idea, but it's not God's idea. Amen. Some of our best ideas, and they're good ideas, but they're not God's idea. And we've got to follow God's leading. We've got to follow God, God's guidance. We've got to follow what the Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit wants us to do. And sometimes we have good ideas, but that's not God's idea. And that's what he's saying there in verse 6. Another reason why he might be telling you no, and you might be wondering why is he telling me no, is because it might not be the right time. It simply might not be the right time. God's all about timing. And you might be trying to do the right thing at the wrong time. Satan tried to get Jesus to do this in the temptation. Satan showed up and he said, see those stones? The Bible says you'll turn those, those stones to bread. Do it if you're the Messiah. And Jesus Christ said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. See, that was the right thing for Jesus to do during the tribulation period is to turn those stones to bread so Israel can be fed in the wilderness. And Satan was trying to get Jesus to do it. And it was a right thing to do, but it was the wrong time. Amen. That's how powerful and deceptive Satan can be. Satan can get you to do the right thing at the wrong time. You need to be praying, guys, as you're handing out tracts. You need to be praying as you're witnessing to people. You need to be praying as you're serving the Lord because the Lord might say, not now, but give it in a minute. 
Sometimes you'll mess things up because you're so determined to do something, but it's the wrong time. Even though it's the right thing, it's the wrong time. And God's all about timing. Amen. Amen. God's all about timing. I'm not, trying to get, <laughs> I'm not trying to get you not to do the right thing. I'm just kind of trying to get you to follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we get kind of frustrated because we're trying to do something that's really good. And it's falling apart on us. And we're like, well, God, why is this not working? Why? And God's saying, well, because it's a good idea, but it's not my idea. Or God's saying, yeah, that's a good idea, and I want you to do that. Just not, let's not do it right now. And thirdly, and simply put, because you are not qualified, and he has someone else in mind to do that thing. Amen. Because you are not qualified, and he has someone else in mind to do that. Now, this speaks to me a little bit because I would love, love, love not to be a preacher, but I would love to be a song leader. I would love to sing for the Lord Jesus Christ. I would love to lead people in song and get people excited and lead them in song. And I love song and I love music. And oh man, I would love to do that. But man, am I not qualified one tad. <laughs> not one bit. And y'all don't have to amen so loud on that one. But I'm not. And it's real obvious when I try to do it. And that's a good thing to lead people in song. And that's a good thing to sing praises to God. But when you're not qualified like I'm not qualified, it can be a bad thing when you're up here squawking like a turkey. Please just shut up, you know. <laughs> shut up and sit down. Please. Get... But when somebody's, somebody's qualified, man. So maybe he's telling you no when you want to do something really good for the Lord because you're not qualified and he has someone else in mind to do that. That's what's wrong with some of the churches. That's what's wrong with some of uh, the church families is that there's some people that are forced into roles that God never intended them to do. And they're doing things they're not meant to do and God never intended them to do. It might be preaching. It might be pastoring. It might be teaching Sunday school. And some reasons why they're doing that, guys, now listen to me, some reasons why that these people that are underqualified or doing things they're not qualified to do is because the person that's qualified to do them is not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Amen. I've seen it a hundred times. That there's people that should be stepping up to the plate and doing what the Lord's qualified and gave them the talent to do. And I don't know what that talent is, guys. I'm not speaking to whatever job that is. But I've seen it in the church, growing up around church and being, as, being a pastor for 15 years. I've seen it where people that I think should be serving the Lord in a certain way, I can't force them to do that. And then the people that really shouldn't be doing it, they're forced to stand up and have to go up there and do it. Whatever it might be. If God is laying your heart to do something and you know, you know, I don't have to tell you what that is. You know it, right? I'm not trying to put something on you that God never put on you. But if you know what the Lord is, then why don't you step out of your comfort zone and do what the Lord wants you to do? And, and, and take that. And, and you know what? You're, you're qualified and God will bless it. He'll really bless it. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 22. I'm going to show you the, what, what happened with this. 1 Chronicles chapter 22. A lot of y'all know the story that we're reading right now, but look at 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 6. Starting in verse 6. See, David, David was not qualified to build that building for God. And God had someone else in mind to build that building. Oh, it's a good idea, David. And David, I'm going to do it. But it's not the right time to do it, David, and you're not qualified. That's what God's going to tell him. And look at verse 6. 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 6. And David tells Solomon this, his son Solomon. Solomon's the one that God wants to build the temple, this building. Then he called for Solomon, his son, this is David, and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house unto the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly. And hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build a house unto my name. Why? Because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. So he goes on to tell Solomon, you build it. Because God's not going to let me do it because I had too much blood on my hands. 
David was not qualified to build a holy house for the Lord, but his son Solomon was. Solomon was raised in a time of peace, and Solomon knew nothing but peace. He's the greatest type of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ in the Bible. Solomon was ruling Jerusalem on the throne of his, on the throne of his father David, and it was nothing but peace. Amen. That's Jesus Christ's millennial kingdom. Solomon would have no blood on his hands. And God says, you have too much blood, David. I love you, but you're too bloody, and you're a bloody man, and I'm not going to let you build my house. So there's a great man, David, who done a lot for the Lord, but the thing he wasn't going to do was build a house for the Lord. He wasn't qualified. Amen. 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 Back at verse, first Chronicles. Go back to First Chronicles chapter 17. I'm showing you this story take place as it's taking place in the Bible. Let's keep on reading. Verse 7, 1 Chronicles 17, verse 7. Now therefore thus, thus shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, even from following the sheep, that thou shouldest be ruler over my people Israel. And I have been with thee whithersoever thou hast walked, and have cut off all thine enemies from before thee, and have made thee a name like the name of the great men that are in the earth. Also, I will ordain a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, and they shall dwell in their place, and, they shall, be, and shall be moved no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness waste them any more, as at the beginning. Verse 10. And since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, moreover, I will subdue all thine enemies, talking to David, Furthermore, I tell thee that the Lord will build thee a house. <laughs> Woo-wee! I love reading the Bible. Because you know what he just said there? He said, David, that's a good idea. But you're not qualified to do it. I got another man that's going to do it. It's not the right time. But the fourth thing, the reason why God might be telling you no, and this might be the most important reason, God says, yeah, that's a good idea, but I got a better idea. Let me build you a house. Brothers and sisters, I've seen men, like I've said, and women, that were not qualified for the job they were pushed into in this church and other churches. And they get pushed into something that they're not supposed to be doing. They're not qualified. It wasn't the right time, but they just go into it because they know it needs to be done and the person that should be doing it is not doing it. So they step up and start trying to do it. And God blesses them and blesses them and blesses them. Verse 10 says, David, you're not doing that. And I know you wanted to do that, but I told you no. But now I'm going to bless you for wanting to do it. You just step out. You start working for the Lord. And I don't know what the Lord spoke to your heart about doing, what you might be needing to do for the Lord, but you just step out. Whatever the Lord was wanting you to do, you just step out. And I don't care, brother and sister, if you're going around making the biggest mess of things. God will bless you. He will bless you. And I've seen some brothers and sisters make a mess of things. And God takes them and directs them and puts them where he wants them. And here we go and over there. And the whole time, it's, and, but God is blessing them because they're trying to do something for him. Amen. And I love the Lord because he says, you know what? You wanted to build me a house? I'm going to build you a house. Amen. You're not going to outgive God. And you're not going to be a bigger blessing than God. And if you think I'm going to do something really good for God, God says, oh yeah, well I'm going to do something even better for you. <laughs> you ever been around people like that? You try to give them something, and they're like, okay, okay. And the next thing you know, they're giving you something even bigger. <laughs> You're like, no, 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 man, we're even, we're even. They're not going to let you outgive them. That's our God. And that's what he's doing for David. Let's keep on reading here. And it shall come to pass when thy days be expired. Now, this is the Lord, and he's still speaking to David. And it shall come to pass... When thy days be expired. Let's stop there. Do you know that you have an expiration date? Yeah. You have an expiration date. Just like a gallon of milk. It's stamped somewhere on you and only God can see it. And it might be a week from now. It might be 60 years from now. God, it might be 100 years from now. But it's, it's an expi expiration date. And when that date hits, guys, your number's done. You're expired, man. 
And that's what the Lord says there in verse 11. And it shall come to pass when thy days be expired, that thou must go to be with thy fathers, that I will raise up thy seed after thee, which shall be of thy sons, and I will establish his kingdom. That's talking about Solomon. Look at verse 12. He shall build me a house. Solomon's going to do that. And I will establish his throne forever. Uh-oh. Solomon's throne didn't last forever. Brothers and sisters, this is what you call the Davidic covenant. This is what all the Jews understood when Jesus showed up. They knew Solomon didn't live on his throne forever, but that a Jew was promised who was going to come from David that was going to promise, was promised to come from David, he's going to be a son of David, was going to sit on that throne forever. And they were calling him the Messiah, the Christ. And when this poor carpenter's son showed up, and he started doing the miracles, and they said, this can't be the Christ. This is no king. He's a carpenter's son. We're looking for the king. And the longer Jesus Christ's ministry went, you know what Jesus Christ started showing them? He was a king. He was a king that was healing people. He was a king that was feeding people. He was a king that they couldn't speak against. He would turn around and speak right against them. He was walking around as king of kings. And when the people started seeing him, the Bible says they tried to grab Jesus and make him king. And he would escape out of the way. Just disappear through the crowd. It wasn't his time. Yes, it's a good idea. But they were trying to do the right thing at the wrong time. He will establish his throne forever. Verse 13, I will be his father. He shall be my son. That's Jesus Christ. Now, spiritually speaking, yes, Solomon was the son of God the Father. In a sense, but nothing like Jesus Christ. Well, you see the prophecy that's being given to David here? You see the prophecy that's being given to David? Verse 13, I will be his father and he shall be my son. That's Jesus Christ. And I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it from him. Uh, excuse me, yeah, from him that was before thee. Speaking of Saul. He said, I'm not going to do to Solomon what I did to Saul. I'm not going to do to Jesus what I did to Saul, which is take the kingdom away from him and give it to David. Verse 14, but I will settle him in mine house and in my kingdom forever. And his throne shall be established forevermore. Woo! That's Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the prophecies, brother. You're, you're seeing God talking to David about his great-great-grandson that's going to be named Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 15, according to all these words, according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. David gets this, and what's David going to do? David is going to turn around from 16 to verse 27, and he's going to start praying to God. And that's what we're going to study the rest of this evening, this morning with. We're going to study this out. Look at verse 16. And David the king came and sat before the Lord. See how he came and sat before the Lord? That's, and he's going to pray. And he comes and sits before the Lord. He came and he sat before the Lord. That really speaks to a prayer closet. That speaks to going in a, in a private room, going somewhere away from everybody, and just sitting before the Lord. In other words, settling down. And just sitting before the Lord and trying to have fellowship with the Lord and talking to the Lord and seeing if he'll, if you can, through the Holy Spirit, you can feel him talking back to you. That's what that speaks to right there. And David the king came and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is mine house that thou hast brought me hitherto? He says, Who am I? What am I? David's acknowledging that he's a nobody that doesn't deserve God's kindness. Can you say that this morning? Amen. Can you admit that this morning that you can say, Who am I? that deserves the salvation of God through Jesus Christ. Who am I? That's why God loved David so much. Because David was a king. David was killing thousands and tens of thousands of the Philistines. David was a great warrior. David was a great musician. David was very good looking. David had everything. David had many wives. David had riches. David had everything a man could want in the world. And David said to God, Who am I? 
Who am I? See, God had already acknowledged to me back in verse 17. He said, David, I took thee from the sheep coat, even from following the sheep, that thou shouldest be ruler over my people Israel. You're just a sheep herder. And David knows that. And David looks at all his blessings. David looks at everything around him. He says, Lord, only reason I have all of this is because of you. Amen. Who am I? O oh Lord God, and what is mine house that thou hast brought me hitherto? I didn't come from somebody special. Jesse's nobody special. My dad wasn't somebody special. I'm just a poor boy from a poor family. Verse 17, and yet, and yet this was a small thing in thine eyes, O oh God. <laughs> and, there's this, and I say all of that, Lord, but that doesn't mean nothing to you. You can do whatever you want to do. Amen. God is able to do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. He's acknowledging that he's a nobody and that God's a somebody. Amen. For thou, verse 17, for thou hast also spoken of thy servant's house for a great while to come and hast regarded me according to the state of a man of high degree, O Lord God. David's saying, Lord, you're talking about me like I'm some somebody. And I'm a nobody. But you're talking to me and about my family and about my kids and about my grandkids like we're somebody and we're nobodies. Brother and sister, in this world, you might be a nobody, but in God's eyes, you're a son or a daughter of a king. Amen. And you're always going to be that. And that's the reason why God gets on to you so much, because a, a son or a daughter of a king should be dressing a certain way, should be talking a certain way, and should be acting a certain way. And he doesn't like it when we're not acting and dressing and, and conducting ourselves like a son or a daughter of a king. Because we live in a world and the world don't treat us like we're sons and daughters of kings. No, they don't. But in God's eyes, we are. And that's why we should conduct ourselves like that. When the, when the world sees us, it, be it at work, at Walmart, at a grocery store, wherever you might be, pumping gas, they should see you and they should say, there's something different about them. When they see you walk in the door, they should say, there's something in their face that I don't have. And it's not us. Who am I? It's Jesus Christ in me. It's the Holy Spirit in me. It's Him glowing out of me. Praise the Lord that the Lord decided to live in us. God, I want to build you a building so you can dwell in there. God says, I got a better idea. I'm going to go dwell in that person right there. And I'm going to dwell in their building. And that's going to be my tabernacle, not some building out here. Their tabernacle is going to be their body, and I'm going to dwell in them and be in them. Man, God is a wonderful, wonderful designer and creator. Verse 18, what can David speak more to thee for the honor of thy servant? For thou knowest thy servant. O Lord, verse 19, for thy servant's sake and according to thine own heart hast thou done all this greatness and making known all these great things. Look at verses 20 and 21. O Lord, there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And what one nation in the earth is like thy people, Israel? Amen. There is no one like our God. Amen. There is no nation like the nation of Israel. And there's no family like the family of God called the church. Amen. There's nothing like it. And that's what David's saying. Verse 21, And what one nation in the earth is like thy people, Israel? No one. Whom God, God. Look what David says here, guys. I want y'all to grab a hold of what David's saying here. In the middle of verse 21, right about the middle. And what one nation in the earth is like thy people, Israel, whom God went to redeem to be his own people. <laughs> we didn't go to you, God. You came to us. You went to redeem us. To be his own people. Wow. God went to redeem Israel at Egypt. God went to redeem Israel at Egypt with the blood of the Lamb. God went to the cross to redeem a people with the blood of the Lamb. His church. Guys, God went for us. 
and died for us to redeem us to be His own people. There is no God like our God. (laughs) That's why it's foolishness to talk about these other gods. Foolishness to talk about these other... This this is foolishness. Other religions, other ways. There's many ways to God. You're a fool! There's many ways to God. There's no God like Jesus Christ. Are you out of your mind? (laughs) Have you seen what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did for us? There's many ways to God. When somebody says that, I say, you're out of your crazy mind. You don't understand. My God is not somebody I go to. My God's one that came to me. And my God came to me when I was filthy and dirty and nasty. And redeemed me. To make me his own. Now go tell me about some other God. Oh, that's stupid. We're talking about the God of gods. Right there in verse 20, oh Lord, there is none like thee. Man, guys, we got the best thing going. Why are we not telling other people about it? Satan's out deceiving them. He's out in the world deceiving them. We study that all through in Sunday school. That's how he's, he's out deceiving them. Oh, there's many ways to God. Oh, you can go your own way. You got to work, work, work. You got to get up there. God, there is no God. Don't worry about it. There is no God. The whole, the whole time God's working and doing everything He can to redeem you, to get you back to Him so you'll be His own. Amen. There it is in verse 21. Whom God went to redeem, to be His own people. He did that for Israel, and He did that for the church. Amen. To make thee a name of greatness and terribleness by driving out nations from before thy people whom thou hast redeemed. Out of Egypt. (laughs) There's no nation like Israel. And there's no nation. I mean, there's no family like the church of God. Man, there's nothing like it. Verse 22. For thy people Israel didst thou make thine own people forever. And thou, O Lord, thou, Lord, becamest their God. When you get saved, now you're part of the family of God. And now God is your God. He's your Father. And what's going to happen here, and I'm going to close with these verses right here. What you're going to find out is David's going to acknowledge five things. He's going to recognize five things in this prayer that's forever. There's five things David's going to talk about that are forever. Not just for a little while. Not going to last for a thousand years or ten thousand years. David says these things are forever. And the first one's right there that I just read to you in verse 22. For thy people Israel didst thou make thine own people forever. Listen guys, we will, we will, we will be God's people forever. (laughs) And ever and ever. Once you become a part of the family of God, you're His forever. You might not be the best child, you might be a disobedient child, but you're His and you're His forever. Not just for a little while, not just until you mess up, you're His child forever. My son is my son, my physical son, and He's going to be my physical son forever. And that love goes on and on and on. Verse 23, Therefore now, Lord, let, let... The thing that thou hast spoken concerning thy servant and concerning his house be established forever and do as thou hast said. The second thing that David acknowledges and recognizes to be forever is God's words are forever. Notice, thou hast spoken concerning thy servant and concerning his house be established forever. Those things, that thing. Those things that are written in this Bible are forever, guys. Jesus Christ says, heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. Right here. Mm, 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 mm. Verse 24. David's going to recognize that we're going to to magnify the name of the Lord God forever. Let it even be established that thy name 
may be magnified forever. It's never going to end. And they can kill everybody in this church. And they can throw everybody in the world that's a Christian in jail. But Jesus Christ's name is going to be magnified forever. Man, my favorite, some of my favorite scriptures when Jesus Christ is coming in. He's coming in on a little donkey and he's coming in. Here he comes. And the, the kids are all running Hosanna and pra praising God. And the Pharisees are getting mad. And he says, tell those kids to shut up because they're praising Jesus Christ. He says, tell those kids to be quiet. And Jesus Christ says, if I was to tell them to be quiet, the very stones themselves would cry out. They can kill us, they can throw us in jail, and the stones themselves will start singing. Amen. Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. And they will one day. And the trees are going to clap, and the mountains are going to sing, and all of nature is going to come alive because their Messiah, the Creator, has come back. And His name will be magnified forever. Now you know why God loved David so much. Because he had it right on the button. Right on the button. Look at verse 25. Well, in the middle of verse 24, the Lord of hosts is the God of Israel, even a God to Israel. And let the house of David, thy servant, be established before thee. Verse 25, for thou, O my God, hast told thy servant that thou wilt build him a house. Therefore thy servant hath found in his heart to pray before thee. Oh my God, hast thou has told thy servant that thou wilt build him a house. Amen. Jesus said in John 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Amen. Jesus told me the same thing. Hey, David, David, Jesus told me the same thing. He told me he's going to build me a house. And he says he's going to come back for me. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Amen. That's your Savior. And he told you, I'm going, I'm preparing a place, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. For thou, O my God, hast told thy servant that thou wilt build him a house. And he has, brothers and sisters. Therefore thy servant hath found in his heart to pray before thee. So I want to have a, ask you a question before we close out. What have you found in your heart? David found in his heart to pray. Knowing all this. And all of y'all have been amen and knowing all this. What have you found in your heart this morning? What have you found in your heart? David found a heart, in his heart a desire to pray and to worship God. Have you found in your heart a desire to watch TV? Surf the internet, go shopping, go hunting, go fishing, go golfing, lay in bed and sleep, go drinking, get drunk, get high. How many things of the world distract us? And we get so distracted by the world that we get so many things wrong in our heart that really, honestly, we should find in our heart a way to just pray to God. Knowing all this. Verse 26 and 27 in closing. And now, Lord, thou art God, and hast promised this goodness unto thy servant. Now, therefore, let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant, that it may be before thee forever. Number four is that we're going to be before God forever. Amen. Forever and ever. And that's a humbling thought to think that not only are we going to be up in heaven, but we're going to be with God. Yeah. God's not going to just put us in a certain place and say, okay, guys, good luck, and I'm going off on the other side of a universe somewhere and create... No, He says, you're going to be with me. And dwell with me. And the Bible says in Revelation, and they'll be with me and I'll be their God. And they'll be my people. I, 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 I want to be with Jesus Christ. I want to be where Jesus Christ is. And wherever that is, that's where I want to be. Amen. And end of verse 27. For thou blessest, O Lord, and it shall be blessed for 
ever. Amen. Amen. For thou, O Lord, for thou blessest, O Lord, and it shall be blessed forever. And lastly, we will, we will be blessed forever. Forever and ever. We will be God's people forever. God's words are forever. We will magnify God's name forever. David says we will be before God forever. And finally he says we will be blessed forever. Because whatever God blesses, it's blessed. And I hate to say this, but you always got to say it because there's two sides to every coin. Whatever God curses will be cursed forever. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you shouldn't have been saying an amen to any of this. This shouldn't make any sense to you. Because the Bible tells us, and I believe the Word of God in every aspect, that the Bible tells us that you're bound and doomed to a devil's hell. And when I say devil's hell, because the Bible says, Jesus Christ tells us that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. It's never meant for me and you. And God doesn't want us in there so bad. He's doing everything he can to keep us out of there that he was willing to come down here and walk as a man and let man beat him and spit on him and crucify him and him to shed his own blood so you'll have a way to get to heaven and be with him. So he can redeem you like we were reading and he can make you his own. So you can go with him and be in heaven and you can be with the church family and you can be with all your love. That's what he wants. But you must receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And Jesus Christ can die for your sins and He can give you this free gift, but you've got to receive it. And Jesus Christ said, He that believeth on the Son is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. So we're talking about this morning as you're walking around as a, as a dead man, as a condemned man, and you need Jesus Christ to get out. I'm so thankful that I got saved. <laughs> That I can read that and the Lord can speak to my heart. Because sometimes this world ain't worth living in. It's not worth living in. And as the older you get, the, the more your loved ones have gone on up to heaven. And then you're down here and the world's getting more wicked and more wicked. And people act crazier and crazier. And you're like, man, I'm just ready to get out of here. And I'm glad I got a place to get out too. Amen. So many people don't have a place to get out too. They're like, this is... This is all there is? No, there isn't. There's more to this. There's Jesus Christ. There's life. There's eternal life. And thank God He's given it to you. Will you come? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you love us, Lord. And thank you for men like David, Father, to have such a heart for you. And Lord, I want to thank you this morning, Lord, for that wonderful, wonderful word forever. Lord, thank you that your salvation is forever. Your love is forever. And Lord, I want to thank you that heaven is forever. And Lord, I want to thank you for heaven where my mom and my dad and my loved ones are up there. Lord, I want to thank you for that. And Father, I want to thank you that uh, you give me the faith to believe in Jesus Christ, Lord, that I might have a way to get up in heaven. Lord, not by anything I've done, but Lord, but by your sacrifice on the cross, Lord. And if there's somebody, I need the sound of my voice, Lord, that's Never received Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Father, we give the invitation. Father, I pray they'll come on down here and get saved. But Father, if there's somebody, Lord, that's dealing with some issues, Father, maybe they've tried to do something for you, Lord God, and things just fell apart, Father, that they'll just they'll look at things a different way, Lord, and start trying to serve you in a different way, Lord. But Father, if they've been maybe, maybe not been serving you, Lord, and they know they're qualified to do some things for you, Lord, but they've just been slacking off, maybe have been putting it behind them, Lord, been trying not to think about it, Lord. Father, I just pray you speak to the heart. Father, encourage them. Lord, show them a little glimpse of the blessings you have for them waiting just on the other side. If they'll just step out and do what you want them to do, Father. And Lord, I want to thank you for what you've done in my life. Lord, I want to thank you for the blessing to be able to preach your gospel. And Lord, I want to thank you for this country that we live in, that I have the freedom to stand up here and proclaim the name of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm praying all this in His blessed name, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 All right, let's have an invitation. I don't know what the Lord's laid on your heart, but I know the Lord's been moving this morning. And Father, I just, uh, just pray that He would move on your heart. And What song are we going to sing? Number 401. 401s. We all stand together. Hello friends, this is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. 
If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3 verse 16. And most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But Verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it and if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13, he sums it up, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are 